This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. This week, I must admit, I'm a little bit under the weather and it's not because of Liverpool's results. Um, and I'm, I'm relying on I'm allowed to be caddied, to be honest, by the enthusiasm of David Hughes. Dave, how's things? <laughs> uh, pressure's on now, to be honest. Uh, I'll have to answer and say really good all night and uh, bring some energy to the podcast. But um, joking aside, yeah, not too bad. Thank you, mate. Uh, certainly better than yourself by the sounds of it. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm fit enough to play. It's not like Van Dijk or anything like that, but I'm just not 100%. Uh, but listen, needs must. We have to come on. We have to address what's going on. Uh, it's not yeah. great. So uh, this week we're going to talk about what happened against Chelsea and Fulham. We're going to look ahead to Leipzig and Wolves. Liverpool having a weekend. And in between, just to shower a little bit of positivity on things, we're going to talk about Steven Gerrard because he's just won a league title up in Scotland. Um, and by all accounts, Jürgen Klopp's leaving Liverpool. So uh, <laughs> we'll be talking about his replacement by the sounds of it. Um, yeah. yeah, we just thought that would be a nice little nice little distraction halfway through, talking about Steven Gerrard as a manager. But Just quickly, I thought, Josh, I feel uh, like you definitely need to put a disclaimer on that because there'll be someone here panicking right now, getting onto Google and just uh, just making sure that is in fact... Not the case. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I have to stress, maybe I'm not the best communicator of sarcasm, but that was a joke. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> just to be clear on that one, Jürgen Klopp isn't going anywhere, hopefully, uh, for the next three years. Um, nevertheless, there's always rumours, isn't there? There's always of one eye on how Stephen Gerrard is doing, former captain and stuff. So, we'll get to that anyway. But in the meantime, we'll have to talk about the two losses that Liverpool suffered, both at Anfield. Uh, Dave, thoughts once again? Um, yeah, I thought Chelsea Liverpool were fairly set. Well, they were second best on the night for me. Um, it just felt like a lot of same old, to be honest. Um, well, for, for that reason, that's I should, should have probably said that's why we're going to address both games as a whole, to be honest. Mm. Um, both games together because it did feel like the same game in a way, to an extent yeah. at least. For for one hundred eighty minutes, yeah, I don't know if it's the backdrop of Anfield as well, just making it seem like it's uh, the same game on repeat. But yeah, I thought Liverpool looked fairly, fairly blunt in attack, fairly toothless again. Um, you know, just focusing on Chelsea for one second. I thought Chelsea played really well. Uh, Chelsea were. This is one thing that, that you don't see many teams do. I thought Chelsea bypassed Liverpool's pressing really easily. Uh, which I can't remember that happening much at all, even when Liverpool haven't been playing well. But uh, Chelsea have been really good. They look like a good side. Um, they look more dangerous. And I know the game only finished 1-0 on the night. And, you know, the underlying expected numbers weren't particularly heavy in their favour either. But just as the game was progressing for me, I just it didn't feel like Liverpool were... We're really going to get back into it. To be honest, that we fell behind, um, which is the kind of theme as as things are at the moment. And then, and then you know, we'll have a re- repeat again against Fulham. Um, the, the the attack to, to me, I don't know if it gets picked up on the, the broadcasting angles um, when you're watching when you're watching at home, but 
it just feels very sterile at the moment in attack. Uh, it's just not coming naturally and players don't seem to know where, you know, where, where the space is, where to move, where just where where to create things. And I think that's that's kind of being reflected in the chances that you know what's the accumulated xG Josh from those two games about one point three or something. Um, for Liverpool, is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For Liverpool, um, I think you're right. One point three, yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's so low for the for the team as good as Liverpool. So yeah, in short, just a lot of the same old, you know, a lot of stuff we've been talking about the last few weeks, and we keep expecting them to turn a corner. And I do believe that they will. I still do, but uh, it wasn't this week. I mean, I must admit this is a bit more of a a bit of a tricky one for me. This because I said I said fairly recently. Because I felt like it almost felt like we were just blindly backing Liverpool. I felt like we was kind of, you know, to some people who maybe aren't as invested in the performance numbers and stuff like that, it looked like we were just saying it. Oh, it'll turn, it'll turn, it'll turn, and, and stuff. I must admit, the past two games Liverpool have played, Liverpool have deserved to lose both, um, and that that is worrying. That is when it can turn, um, and that's when. You know you you can keep performing well, and this is this is going this is looking at various managerial tenures in across the league across various divisions. Um, it it kind of always comes down to results, especially when it comes to players and that intangible aspect of confidence sort of thing. It will always come down to results at the end of the day. Like say for example, a player like Sadio Mane, although I appreciate Liverpool have extensive analysis behind the scenes, a lot better than what we do here. I very much doubt Sadio Mane will be looking into the to the specifics of the game to the extent that we we do, for example, or the club do. Um so for for a player on the pitch who's just going after going about his duty week after week after week after week and it's just for whatever reason not working, it will get to a point whereby they kind of lose faith a little bit in just doing what they're supposed to be doing because it's, it's not delivering results and if it feels a little bit like it's it early doors again but it feels a little bit like this could be a little bit of a turn in a negative way and that's that's a concern mm. what what you mean is a wider point in terms of a, a turn in a negative way so I mean a turn as in Liverpool get well beaten every week because um like, say, for example, I'll use the numbers to catch me points. So, against Chelsea, Liverpool took seven shots. Chelsea took 12. Um, and the non... Sorry, the, yeah, the expected goal per shot that Liverpool posted in that game, in that game was just 0.04. Chelsea posted 0.1. Um, that basically indicates that the average chance that the average shot that Liverpool took had a roughly four percent chance of finding the net. Chelsea's had a roughly ten percent chance of finding the net. Uh, against Fulham, Liverpool took sixteen shots. Fulham only took ten, but Liverpool's xG per shot again was zero point zero six, and Fulham's was double zero point one two. And obviously Fulham got a lead. So Fulham started to sit on that. So if Fulham didn't get that lead. I'm inclined to think that Liverpool wouldn't have outshot them by six shots by the mm. end of the game. 
And I just think, you know, we talk a lot about probabilities and stuff like that. That's kind of what this is, I suppose, probabilities. It's the way we look at, you know, this Liverpool's form, the way we have looked at Liverpool's form since Christmas, it's always been. Um, if this match was to get played a hundred times, Liverpool would probably be fine in most of those cases. The reason I'm saying about a turn and I've re- reason to be cautious a little bit at the minute is because I think two consecutive games in a row there at Anfield against Chelsea and Fulham, okay, there was plenty of rotation against Fulham, but Klopp's rotated in the past, as you well know, Dave, against Everton. Um, and it, it doesn't seem to result in much much disturbance. So one of the reasons I'm highlighting a little bit of a turn here is because I think if Liverpool will have played that exact game against Chelsea a hundred times and that exact game against Fulham a hundred times, I think Liverpool lose more than you win. And that's mm. that's a concern. Mm. And also it's worth pointing out that, you know, <clears throat> the rotation, whilst it was for some kind of fresh legs, I also believe the rotation was to try and try and you know bring something new to the table. Uh, you know, try and create something a little bit different to, to what happened in the game a few a few nights earlier against Chelsea and it was just a lot of the same really wasn't it despite the change in personnel um, which does obviously allude to it being a wider issue but you know everything you're touching on there I think it's worth pointing out if anybody listening or watching wants to try and get their own visualisation of, of what, what we're saying just, just go on to understat.com uh, and have a look at Liverpool's last couple of games, and have a look at the shot maps from them. You know, it's it's free to see, um, and it gives you a really good rep- representation of what's kind of happening. Where you know Liverpool are getting shots off, but they're just you can see that they're just not of a good a good quality really, um, and that's reflected. And I agree that you know they were two de- deserved defeats. And I think in the first game against Chelsea. Okay, look, Chelsea are a really good side at the moment in a really good in a really good place, aren't they? Um, you know, beating most teams you come up against. I think basically since Tuchel's come in, they've been the informed side, probably even better than City. Um, you can actually probably say that statistically now as well after City's loss on the weekends. Uh, but Fulham, you know, Fulham are a much improved side as we touched on last week uh, in the preview show, but they're also a team that is probably a, a side that Liverpool would traditionally welcome in terms of playing them and getting back into the win, win column. And yeah, it's alarming because the Fulham played really well before the goal, didn't he? Uh, and you rightly pointed out that uh, the goal comes and Fulham then can kind of opt to sit on that. And that's maybe where Liverpool, not to what, I don't want to use this term, but I think it captures it best, almost stat pad a little bit in terms of, you know, getting their things like the shot count up uh, without really threatening. Um, and yeah, it's, it is a sticky situation. I can see why, you know, Klopp has t- openly talked about being glad that the, uh, the Champions League's coming up because it'll be a distraction from from what's going on in the league. I'm glad you mentioned Understat there actually because I've just I'm I'm going to use Understat now to capture my point. Understat looks at the shots of both teams, the values of those shots um, from a certain game, and Understat will provide just a general probability of what Liverpool's likelihood of winning the game, drawing the game and losing the game. Uh, against Fulham, Liverpool, based on the shots of both teams, had a roughly 16% chance of winning that game. Uh, 27%, chance, sorry, 27% chance of a draw 
and Fulham, 57% chance of winning that game. And in terms of Chelsea, it's probably the same, probably even worse, to be honest. Yeah, Liverpool, 6% chance of winning that game. Mm. 27% chance of drawing. And Chelsea, 67% chance of winning. That is the exact kind of thing that we've been looking at quite a bit since Christmas. And it's generally painted... Not a great picture, but just an okay one. Um, and it it just, it just feels like enough in the space of you know a couple of days, two games in Anfield, two completely different elevens. It just felt like enough to, to to be worth flagging as a bit of a concern. Um, because you know, especially the high line, Dave, the high line just got battered uh, by both teams really, and it did it did look like it was. It was bordering on naive at certain mm. points. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Where do you stand on that? Because I've had this conversation elsewhere, um, and obviously we've got the benefit of hindsight now. Um, and, I, and I can't recall what we were saying at the time when the injuries started coming about to Van Dijk and Gomez. But you know, has there been an error tactically in not adapting this team? Um, in the way they set up and I'll caveat it initially because I want to point it out before we get into the conversation I think it's really difficult to kind of change tactically in, especially something like shape uh, when you're playing every two or three days you know that's really hard to kind of uh, adapt so I appreciate that uh, but you know there has been a couple of the odd weeks where Liverpool maybe had a full week off I just wonder whether some adaptation was required because it's clear that the profiles that have played in in, in place of the usual players, you know, like your Van Dykes and Gomez and stuff, just haven't been as good. You know, they haven't. They're not terrible players at all. Uh, you know, even if you put the uh, central midfielders into centre backs, they're, they're still more than adequate. I think the players who've come in, you know, the likes of Kabak, Phillips, and so on, that they're, they're obviously not as good as Van Dijk and, and Gomez, but uh, they're still adequate for me. Well, I, I don't know. People might disagree, uh, but for me, they're still kind of top ten Premier League players. I think, um, but they're just they seem to be getting really, really exposed and being left quite vulnerable as it is uh, deploying the tactics to getting deployed. So I just don't know if it opens a, a wider question that maybe there's been there's been some fault in in not adapting it. Yeah. Um... I do agree. I think, but it's it is tricky. It really is difficult because of the campaign. It's it's nuts. I mean, if you look at the tactical approach of Liverpool, it's it is based, and this was our lead title was one play in this way. But it is based on the strengths of the players that Klopp has at his disposal. In my opinion, any tactical setup has to be formed based on the. the the strengths and weaknesses of your players. Like I, I think it's quite mad to just suggest, oh well, I I, I favour four two three one, and then you know it, well, who's playing for you? Well, I don't know yet. You know, yeah, mm. I, I think that's a bit mad. Um, so I've always been one to not necessarily start playing like Burnley, but in terms of you know accepting what you've got at your disposal and adjusting accordingly in a way similarly to how you know Liverpool adjusted when Fabinho came in. Liverpool adjusted when Van Dijk came in, um, obviously in a more proactive way by almost embracing more risk because of the players 
Um, difficult thing with that is I think maybe Klopp will have looked to adjust based on Gomez. Then he will have looked to adjust based on Fabinho. Then he will have looked to adjust based on Henderson. And I think with the changes every single week, you know, Kabak is, in, is injured at the minute. I think he's back for the Leipzig game, but Kabak's been injured since we got him in. We signed Ben Davis. We haven't seen him yet. Um, so I think the whole adjustment period to which uh, you just mentioned there that you don't get the time on the training ground. The adjustment that you that you would need to make on the training ground, based on the qualities of the players that you've now got at your disposal, Klopp hasn't even known what players he's had at his disposal because it's changed every week. Um. So it's it really is difficult, and I think you know you've got to bear in mind Klopp's built this game, this game that Liverpool have played. Klopp's built this for five years, five six years, and I am still of the belief that this is a short term collapse. And I, I I do still think that once the season ends, players come back, you have a normal pre season, you have a normal campaign in terms of one game a week up until maybe the Christmas period and, you know, Champions League games thrown in here and there. So with that being the case, it just seems a bit, it's it's difficult to really rip up everything you're doing. Not necessarily rip up, but just even those adjustments are difficult to make when you know that once the season ends, you're going back to the way you used to play because you haven't mm. sold anyone. It's different. It's, you haven't sold anyone. You just you just got players out for a couple of months. Uh, mm. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said there. Um, I mean, if it's if it's trying maybe bring another side to it. Uh, although, as I've just said, I do agree with a lot of you said of what you said. Sorry, um, you know, you could it could be looked at then if you if you're gonna consist if you're having an ever change in centre back pair and you know ever ever change of players in those positions, then you know it does that add more of a case for adapting it doing something a little bit easy, a little bit more basic. So say if you went like a a clock two or three years ago or Liverpool set up around that period where maybe the defensive line is a little bit deeper. Um, maybe you don't try and have so much, you know, territory dominance, ball dominance, sit a little bit de deeper, see if teams will come on to you a little bit more and then try and expose any space on, on counter-attacks and things. I'll be honest, I don't think that's straightforward because I don't think you dropping deeper would automatically mean that teams would suddenly go out and start attacking Liverpool because I think they know how dangerous they are. Um, so I'm not saying it's that black and white. I just wonder if, you know, if there's just something that could have been done to maybe adjust it. And, you know, as you pointed out, there hasn't been a consistent defence there. So then would the emphasis have been more on, you know, trying to have a little bit more of an, an easier approach for players maybe who don't have the same ability that the likes of Van Dijk and Gomez have. So if a player does come in, there's less pressure on them, there's less responsibility. You can do a more of a traditional central defender's role. Um, as I said, I don't. It's not black and white. So I, you know, I can't say right now this is what he should have done tactically to alleviate what happens because um, I think it's I think it's quite hard when, when you're throwing everything we've just discussed but again with the benefit of hindsight you look at it now and you think you know would have these players been able able to adapt more if they were in a little bit more of a supportive 
system, I guess. Yeah, less exposed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the same I'm looking for. Just less exposed, you know, because, you know, I, I still believe, I've said it already, Phillips, for example, I think Phillips is a good central defender. I think there's a reason why Kabak has a good reputation because people who've watched him a lot clearly rate him. You know, these defenders are, are good defenders, but maybe they're just getting, as you've just used the term, exposed a little bit more as, as the structure is at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's worth saying, it's worth noting that these past two games that Liverpool have lost, both of them have only been 1-0. And this whole Christmas period is period since Christmas. You know, the the, the main error, the, the major problem hasn't always been Liverpool's defence. It's mm. It's been the attack just as much. So if Klopp would have made a few of those errors, sorry, a few of these, those adjustments, um, Liverpool might have even been worse defensively and... Or they might have been better defensively, but the attacking problems might have still been there. You know, it's difficult. So mm. it's just one of them. It's a it's a really horrible season, to be honest. Uh, I I I'm kind of desperate for it to end, if I'm honest, because I I think I'm I'm looking at the Liverpool squad, I'm looking at the manager, and I I just I think they're desperate for a break. Um, mm. Even like compared to a normal campaign, usually by now any team that's completely gone to bits. We'll get like an international break, and they'll maybe go away for two weeks in Dubai or, or something like that, like a warm weather training camp or something. Um, or they'll get lifted by the fans in the ground. It's it's almost like it's the worst possible season for this to have happened the way it has. Yeah. Um, and it's as I said, I'm I'm still a little bit, I'm still mostly in the camp that this is a short term collapse, and. Once the season ends, Liverpool will be roughly back performance at the level that they were beforehand. Having said that, I have got a big concern of just how low the team will fall in the meantime. Um, you know, I mentioned before about having a belief in, in, in what you're currently doing to the extent that you just keep doing it every week regardless of results. And I'm just wondering how bad it might get, how low faith will get and you know, what what relationships might become a little bit scarred and stuff in the process to the extent that maybe next season things do get a little bit, um, it kind of it overflows a little bit, but it'd have to get bad for that to happen in my opinion. But, um, you know, it's on its way. I mean, I think Liverpool have lost now six in a row at Anfield. I mean, that's, that's unheard of really, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's, you know, it's a, it's a record, isn't it? Club records. Um, that's something you never would have expected when you think that, you know, as of 2021, Liverpool will come to four years undefeated at home in the Premier League. Um, I think it's basically one one defeat led to led to six. Um, I'm just having a look just, at the fixtures. Go on. I was going to say, just out of interest, David, what, what do you think regarding this being a short-term, long-term thing? Or do you think this is the start of a decline that needs rebuilding? You know, what's, what's your take on it? I am, um, I am more in your camp than the other one, um, just because I think there's a lot of a lot of you know talented players in that team, um, and although it's not happening now, I think it could, as I said, just click back into at, at any moment. Because even despite all this, Liverpool's underlying numbers across the campaign still look still look solid, um, and you think. Maybe with more luck on the side in recent fixtures, some of those defeats might have ended in draws, like Fulham, for example. Like we 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 said, 
you know, Fulham with deserving winners. But if you think of the actual goal that ends up being scored, it's a it's a really good finish, isn't it? Um, and if that one doesn't go in, then then maybe it finishes a, a bit of a drab nil nil. Um, so you know, maybe I think what's happened is maybe a lot of Liverpool, although Liverpool aren't playing well and probably just about deserving to lose. I think there's a lot of coin tosses with Liverpool's matches at the moment and right now it's kind of landing on the negative for them, which which feeds into the narrative of what's going on. To answer your question, um, I think there's a good chance that they probably will uh, have another goal next year with this squad. I think they've got one more year in them. Uh, but if this season continues to be as damaging as it is at the moment, you know, Champions League football very unlikely as it stands. Um, it could sour things. Like what you don't need, for example, is, and we don't talk about stuff like this, so I don't want to dwell on it, but after what's happened to this whole squad, you don't need like Salah's agent tweeting stuff out when he gets substituted in a home game um, because you don't know what's then, Salah's obviously seen that. You don't know what's then being said behind the scenes and this can create these kind of internal rifts that don't really need to be there and that kind of stuff can you know basically collapse the house of cards I guess um, so you know those factors that you alluded to a couple of minutes ago as long as not too many of them happen and the team kind of you know they say unity is strength I think if the units stick together through this you'll have another year in them but if if things do start breaking off maybe you, you know Salah starts getting a bit annoyed, gets his head turned. Wijnaldum maybe leaves at the end of the summer, eh, at the end of the season. You know, he's obviously a consistent profile in that team. If these little breakaways start happening, then you know it, it could have a, an impact and maybe a, a rebuild will need to be on the cards. Yeah, I think just just as the as the form continues to go the way it's going, it's just becoming increasingly delicate. I think it, I think hopefully the whole whole club, everyone at the club and the players and stuff like that will just remain grounded throughout and be aware that this is just happening now. It's not going to keep happening, specifically once everyone's back and once life is kind of normal again, once Anfield's packed, we have actual centre-backs on the pitch, all that sort of stuff, just the normal stuff. Um, just just quickly, go on. sorry, just, just on the subject of a rebuild, um, how do you think that would work with, say it was this summer or the next I know it doesn't just happen one summer, but you normally have one when you're trying to rebuild a side. You'll normally have one really busy summer, won't you? Where you'll bring kind of like three, three, four key players in. I wonder how that works with with the dynamic with Klopp and the and because obviously Klopp is here until twenty twenty four. Is that's right, isn't it? And yeah, he's not so. he's not going to proceed beyond that, is it? We probably can, we're probably sure that's not going to happen. So I just wonder whether he's whether he oversees it or how, how that dynamic works, whether it's going to be purely the club doing it, like Edwards and co, and he's just kind of having to deal with the, the hand that he's given in terms of the players that come in who might be a little bit raw at that stage. Or do you, Can you see what I'm trying to get to? I just don't know how that's going to, how that'll play out because obviously Klopp probably won't be the person who's then looking after this next generation. It'll be another manager that we might touch on in a bit. Yeah, I think uh, I think I remember reading something along these lines, and I think that I think it was roughly that the plan was kind of Klopp would start the the Klopp two point team, if you like, the the next generation of Liverpool, 
uh, beyond the likes of the front three and you know those those key figures. In the meantime, Liverpool would accept some sort of transitional period whereby the team finished maybe fourth, third or so, like United did under, under Ferguson a few times maybe, yeah. before then going again. And I think the plan was to, by 2024, have that transition happened, the team going again once more. And then with that team, with that second team then built, if you like, Klopp then kind of seamlessly gets replaced as that team is still experiencing peak, if you know what I mean. Mm, so mm. The, I suppose the best way I could put that would be the way City have done it. City had their transition year last season. This season, Guardiola's kind of started City 2.0 with Cancelo as the right-back and Foden in the team and Gundogan getting in the box and stuff. So it's kind of a new team now, new dynamics and things. Pep will be in charge, obviously, this season, maybe next season. And then if it was Liverpool, I think Klopp would be in charge this season, maybe next season. And then he'd then pass the baton on, really, with Liverpool in a healthy position. I think mm. that was that was why I was under under the impression of what was what the plan was. Um, but as I said, just the, the way it gets in the short term, the more ripple effects will will, will impact the long term. If you know what I mean. Mm. Like I can remember um, listening to a podcast Gerard Houllier, and uh, he had a quote in it. This is the quote. So he said, um, "This is the crucial part. If you try to convince the player, but you never win a game." You don't last long, and I think that's the that's kind of the message he's getting out, getting across. As in, you can keep telling the player that you're doing the right thing, and you can talk as much as you want about probabilities. We should have won this game. You're underperforming in front of goal, that sort of stuff. But it will get to a point where um, it, the, the player stops believing almost that that it's, that it's going to eventually work, and things tail off a little bit. Mm. Yeah. Well. <clears throat> You don't know. It, it could go two ways from this position. You know, it could go down the route of everything just going back to normal next year, or maybe Liverpool at that position now, uh, which obviously won't be a nice thing to think about for for yourself and Liverpool fans listening and watching. Um, it's one that you know. I guess we'll have to wait and see. See if they get hit some sort of form again. That you know, between now and the end of the season, finish as high as possible, and then and then hopefully go again in the in the summer. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. On a more brighter note, Stephen Gerrard. Mm. Uh, we'll move away from the we'll move away from the uh, the losses. Hopefully, Liverpool can stay in a corner, but certainly a bit more concerning past two results. But in terms of Stephen Gerrard, he has lifted his first piece of silverware as Liverpool mm. boss. Big news. Um, impressed, Dave? Or? Yeah, big time. Yeah. You know, I, um, I've been keeping an eye on him. I think we've talked about him on this show before. Um, I'll admit, you know, I think initially I was I was impressed, but I was very quick to kind of uh, really cliche stuff. And you know, I I look back and cringe a little bit. I know I was I was quite uh, given it the if, if, oh, if, if you're gonna say. reference if you're gonna reference experience. Is that what you're saying? That... No, it, it was more I was just going to be quite dismissive of the Scottish League in terms of it being a oh. two-horse race. Um, yeah, I just... I, the reason I'm, I'm, I'm so kind of like, you know, 
a little bit disappointed on that now is because I think the job he's done there is really good, even with the context of it being in that division. Um, I think they've been fantastic, and you know that that was a huge title win for for Rangers. I think he'll go down in 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 folklore a little bit up there for that because you know ten in the row would have been massive for Celtic, and that would be a tough pill to swallow for for Rangers. It would have been historic. No, they, that would that would never. It would have been on par with the way Arsenal won the title at White Hart Lane. Nobody still talk about that now. I think that would have been on these levels, and and he's he's stopped that and done it with style as well. So fair play to him. Yeah, I've been uh, really impressed. I've been gradually keeping track of him, and as he showed better and better qualities, better and better accolades, if you like, I've kind of paid more and more attention to him. And as you said, you know, people are inclined to downplay the Scottish Premiership. And I totally get that. You know, he will not prove himself to the level that's required until he comes to probably a big five league. Having said that, all of the stuff that he's done in Scotland is applicable and desirable for for a, for a job like Liverpool, I suppose. Um, I must admit, I don't think the next job can be Liverpool for him. I think since we last spoke about this, I have sided with you a little bit in terms of, you know, just get one more under your belt, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. Like Klopp comes... To, I, I think Liverpool should always behave like a club at the top of the food chain. Liverpool shouldn't be taking chances on coaches who might be boss, but might might be a shambles. You know what I mean? Liverpool should be shopping at the, at the, the business end, really. Um, if you look at Jurgen Klopp, for example, Jurgen Klopp come in and he's, he's got 20 years of man- managerial experience at the minute. Um, and I think specifically in the period right now, he's able to revert back to his experiences and obviously he had a similar period at Dortmund and stuff. Whereas, you know, let's say, for example, if Michael Arteta was going through this, it'd be totally new for him. And well, not, not, to, not, not to downplay Arteta, but... It's it's something that's required, I think, for the top top job. Well, look at Lampard. You know, Lampard was the kind of one that it happened with, didn't it? You know, Premier League, big club, uh, and it just didn't it didn't happen for him. Uh, he he kind of it hit a real sticky patch and and couldn't couldn't get out of it. Uh, and he obviously had a had a lot of backing uh, at the club initially. You know, club club hero. You thought he'd get plenty of time, but. So, you know, in many ways, when you actually think about that one, it's very similar to to what maybe you'd see with Gerard. Now, I think a, a big difference is the Liverpool model and the Chelsea one is completely different. I think Chelsea are a lot more ruthless in in how they approach things. Uh, but then, you know, our Liverpool as well. You know, Liverpool quite ruthlessly uh, moved Brent, Brendan Rodgers on when they thought that one wasn't right. You know, they've had Klopp in charge for five years because Klopp's been so good. Um, so in that situation, you know, Chelsea brought in a club legend who'd obviously had a, a decent, not as good as Gerrard, but, you know, a, a decent period with Derby. Um, done fairly well with them. Uh, and he's come in and he just couldn't kind of handle that level and that quality of play and get the best out of them. You wouldn't want to see a repeat of that with uh, Gerard and Liverpool because obviously you wouldn't want you want it'd be a disastrous thing for Liverpool to have to 
have to sack Gerard, wouldn't he? Um, but maybe we should just stick on the positives for now on on how well he's done up there. No, I think I think Lampard's a good example. I think it was it, it was I thought it was really telling when a couple of weeks ago, well, a couple of months now, both teams were struggling a little bit, and Lampard spoke after the game and kind of threw his players under the bus to an extent. He, you know, he was acting like a, a person who was um, who felt like the world was against him and felt like everyone was conspiring. I think he was having a go with journalists and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, he was. And yeah. then, and then Klopp got asked a similar type question not so long after when Liverpool lost to like Burnley or or, or a team like that. And Klopp just looked straight down the camera and said, "It's my fault." And I think that's that's totally that that's one of the reasons why Lampard. I mean, it wouldn't have happened anyway, but that's one of the reasons why Lampard has now experienced his first sacking already, whereas Klopp has never experienced a sacking in his career. It's because mm. that it, it never really turns to that level of negativity on on the Klopp. Um, and again, it, it's just about that experience. But in terms of Gerard, yeah, I just think when Liverpool comes to looking for a new manager, eventually. Um, I think there'll just be a number of tick boxes that that the new man will have to have to have under his belt, and I think just a few of those that I've just noted here, he'll have to have a proven track record of improving players. He'll have to be, in my opinion, a proven winner in terms of silverware, getting over the line, ideally a domestic league, um, willingness to work inside the structure that Liverpool currently have in terms of a director of football and stuff like that. Obviously, he'll have to speak English. He'll have to have a playing style that complements what's came before and what's suited to the club. And specifically from a data perspective, the kind of thing that we look into, he'll have to have good underlying performance metrics. And specifically the metrics side there, that's one of the reasons I'm really excited about Gerard because although he's dominated Scotland and he's done well in the Europa League and stuff, his actual numbers are really, really good. Mm. Um, 32 games in the Scottish Premiership this season. I think they've conceded nine all season. It's it's ridiculous. Mm, yeah. Yeah, and you know, they're, they're backed up, aren't they, by the underlying numbers and you touched on making players better than... I mean, what's what's really interesting is the way they play. You know, a 4-3-3, but if you have a look at things like... Uh, I imagine... You know, I'm trying to think... Who, it might have been someone like Sam Maguire might have shared uh, an average position map. Um and if you look at it, it's 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 weird how and the similarities between between Rangers and Liverpool. Certainly, maybe not the current Liverpool, but you know the Liverpool that we got so accustomed to the kind of title winning side. You know, got like two, got the two centre backs, uh, kind of holding the high highish line. You got wing backs pushing up to support attackers. You've got like the front three coming a little bit more narrow, um, and it just they look so similar. Uh, and then you know there's. And they've got multiple goal threats on the pitch now. Um, you know they're not just reliant on like one one kind of tallies, man. Uh, you know they've got goals everywhere. I'm just, I've just brought it up now, and goals scored in the, in the Scottish Premiership this year. Um, it's Rangers plays make up three of the top five. Um, you know you got I'm looking at three players here, um, two on ten and one on eleven. Um, you know so there's goals. He's, he's He's doing this so that there's goals across the squad. And, okay, they've, they've got a better side than the other, the other other teams in the league. I appreciate that. But I wouldn't say they've got a phenomenal team. Certainly not a team or 
of individuals who could go and win the league on their own without strong leadership and good coaching. Um, and the way they kind of destroyed Celtic, who Celtic have made so many excuses, uh, and there might be Celtic like fans now, Celtic Liverpool fans, listeners. So I'm not pretending to be an expert on on Celtic, but. There's no denying that Celtic would have started this season highly motivated to, to win this title. And they've been absolutely blown away by uh, by Rangers. And as I said, Gerard's going to take a huge amount of credit for that. Yeah. I mean, the goals that he conceded, it's it's a product of the underlying performances. I mean, I looked at the... I'm, I'm working on a visit at the minute, actually. I'm going to share it either today or tomorrow. It's obviously... With the massive caveat that it again it's the Scottish Premier League, so it's difficult to compare what Rangers are doing to like what Manchester City are doing, for example. Um, because City are facing much better opponents. But in terms of the shots that Rangers face per match, Rangers face an average of about five point nine per match. That's the lowest that if if Rangers were in the top a big five league, that would be the lowest in the whole of the big five leagues. For, for perspective, City are currently facing 6.8 per match. Again, Rangers was 5.9. Uh, Liverpool are facing 8.3 per match at the minute. And, um, you know, for Rangers to be that low, it's it's quite a statement. And I, I actually had a look before. Uh, Rangers are currently conceding well, this season in, in domestically, they the concede 0.28 goals per match. For perspective of how low that is, the, the famous Jose Mourinho team, 2005, Chelsea, they conceded 15 goals all season. That's lower than that, what, uh-huh. what Gerard's currently doing. Um, so his defensive game is, is absolutely spot on. I've, I've read a few pieces, gets a lot of inspiration from what Benitez does without the ball and stuff. But yeah, I think, you know, we'll, we'll leave it there. We won't touch on them too much because we've got two teams still to preview. But I think it's it's always worth checking in with Gerard, especially considering he he's he, he looks good. He looks encouraging. He looks like if Liverpool were to appoint him one day, it wouldn't just be, you know, founded in nostalgia. It'd be, there'd be logic behind it at the minute. But uh yeah, I think maybe there's one more step for him to do before he was to come to Anfield for me. Not sure about you. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I ju- just one thing I want to add more on his favour is, you know, yeah, what one thing he's doing differently, his Rangers side are doing differently to to the dominant Celtic side over the last few years is Rangers are going and competing on the continent and I feel like they you know, they're doing really well in European competition against good sides. Like, you know, you've got just having a look now, they've got uh, Benfica, you know, they, they went home and away, played Benfica home and away, draws, beat Standard Liège, uh, good record against, you know, they, they had good competition and won against Antwerp. Um, you know, they've played some fairly decent European sides that it feels like often uh, Celtic come unstuck against and they've done, they done pretty well. Uh, and that's, that's that's a bit of an asset test for me. Can they do it on against you know different philosophies, different kind of against teams from different countries? And the show we can. Yeah, I mean when I looked at him a few months back, his uh, you, you know you compared him to Celtic there and what Celtic tends to struggle with in in Europe. Celtic are one team you obviously can compare Rangers with quite fairly, 
And uh, one thing I picked up on last time I checked was, I think when when Rodgers was at Celtic, compared to Gerrard's current season at Rangers, I'm not sure if it's still the case, but it was when I looked around December. Um, Rodgers' best season for shot differential. So that's the number of shots that you take minus the number of shots that you face. Uh, the best that Rodgers achieved at Celtic, Gerard achieved better last season and was on course to achieve better this season. So in terms of taking more shots than the opponents, than your opponents, opponents basically, um, Gerard was on course to better Rodgers' Celtic record twice, uh, mm. which, you know, very insistent. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. But anyway, we'll move on to what is kind of Liverpool's season in a game, Dave. Uh, RB Leipzig, obviously 2-0 lead on aggregate. But for me, this one is nowhere. No? Okay. Uh, I don't know. I just... I just... I get the, I get the fear. Um, I think but... in, the last, in the last game, it wasn't 2-0 for me. I think that's maybe why I'm yeah, it was saying a, it's not over. Yeah, it was a fairly even performance-wise, wasn't it? But obviously, Liverpool just punished punished Leipzig with you know two kind of I guess you call them mistakes to an extent. But um, look, yeah, I do. I think I think Leipzig with the um, as a proposition in terms of a team who will be going all out to attack could be a problem. Um, because they have nothing to defend, do they? They just they they they're basically going out to not only overturn like a two 0 deficit, but obviously go and win the game. And I do, from that point of view, think it could be a really difficult task. And obviously, since Liverpool last played them, they've they've had four back to back wins against decent sides. Beat Hertha Berlin away, uh, Gladbach at home, uh, beat Wolfsburg, uh, went to Freiburg and won as well. So they scored. Uh, three goals in three of those matches and two in the other. So, you know, and, and he conceded uh, just twice. So, you know, they're, they're still performing as, as good as they were when we previewed the first leg. Um, so, yeah, you're still playing a, a top side who I believe is still, let me just check, check. Are they still top of the table? No, Bayern have just picked them, but the second in the table. So, yeah, you are playing one of Bund the Bundesliga's best sides who are in really, really good form. Um, so I guess that uh, that little bit of apprehension you've got is is warranted. We did touch on their defence last time around. They have a top defence in terms of restricting the opponents to many, many shots. It's about, I think it's the second best in Europe at the minute. Only Manchester City are better at doing that than their Leipzig are. And I think we, you know, my, my concerns stem from the first leg. Although Liverpool, I thought, were quite good in the first leg, and Salah missed a one-on-one. I think uh, there was a few chances here and there. Leipzig also had chances. You know, I, I remember Christopher and Kunku had a, a one-on-one with Allison. I think, um, and the expected goals on the day finished one point four for Leipzig and one point eight for Liverpool. And obviously, much of Liverpool's one point eight came as a product of two massive errors from Leipzig defenders. So. You know whether that will happen again remains to be seen. So I don't know. It's the kind of it's the kind of game at the minute that I think Liverpool previous seasons have become confident, but this season 
given how quickly things can go down the pan in seconds with the mistakes and stuff, I think Liverpool are top of Europe for um, Edis Pay 90, actually. Uh, I actually sent a newsletter out on that a few days ago. But it's just the kind of game that, certainly in, in current form, Liverpool can't look at this as, as done and dusted, especially considering uh, one of the key players from the first leg, Jordan Henderson, will be out. And I thought, specifically in the first leg, he was quite integral to the game plan of Liverpool on the day. Uh, those Van Dyke style diagonals in the direction of Salah were used quite often mm. um, in and around Lucas Klosterman. Obviously, without Henderson in the team and maybe with Fabinho in there, maybe Fabinho can offer it. Phillips, I don't think Phillips can play actually, but Reece Williams can't. Um, Kabach, maybe, but a little attack and channel of Liverpool's game might be lost. Um, it's just the kind of game that I should be confident for. And I th- Probability-wise, I still think Liverpool are probably going to come through it, but you just never know. Mm. Like missing the intangibles a little bit as well, isn't it? Like I think mm. if this was last season, you've gone away from home and got two 0 winning, you're coming back to Anfield. Like it's it's basically game done, isn't it? Especially with fans in there. Um, but obviously the the game isn't even being played in Anfield now, which you know I don't know if that's a benefit to Liverpool. Um, but joking aside, it's not, is it? Because despite the form. The, the home comforts and you know not having to travel and things are, are quite are quite important in these in these fixtures. Uh, so obviously they'll be travelling to this game, so there isn't really that home advantage and there's no fans and yeah, it, it, you know it, it is a it is a bit of a tricky one on paper um, and it feels like we we kind of already covered why before the first game. Uh, Liverpool got a really good result in that one, but. It's kind of like time to go again, and you know things can change very quickly in these two legged ties. Uh, if if Leipzig was to score fairly early on, you'd imagine it'd be quite a lot of pressure on Liverpool there. So I'll be honest, I, I still fancy Liverpool to progress, similar to yourself, but um, maybe it's just not going to be as plain sailing as it would be, you know, in another season uh, in this in this situation. It's probably worth saying as well that if, if Liverpool score one. Leipzig would need four, and uh, mm. that is obviously, despite Liverpool's problems, that that one feels highly unlikely. I can't see Liverpool conceding four. That would be the ultimate collapse. Um, one positive on that from Liverpool's defensive side, looking at Leipzig's attack, is that I think there's a question mark attached to Angelino for this game in terms of his fitness. I think he missed the weekend game, missed the game before that. And he's quite important to him going forward. He caused Liverpool problems in the first leg, caused Manchester United problems in the group stages, uh, offers pace and behind, which would obviously be a threat for Liverpool's high line. So uh, hopefully he doesn't play. Uh, mm. But Naby Keita could play against his old team, Dave. He could, yeah. Uh, might be, you know, he's a player that Liverpool could really do and would do with now, kind of staying fit and available and producing his best form. Because um, you know he could be a bit of a game changer. I thought he was seems a lifetime ago now, but I thought he was really good in that Crystal Palace game. You know, the seven nil. Uh, I thought he had a really good performance in that. And typically, I haven't really seen him properly since, have we? Uh, I know he he, he played uh, played on Sunday, didn't he? I'm sure he did. Um, yeah, but yeah, we still haven't seen him kind of. But that's typical, isn't it? When you're in and out of the team, you can't build that momentum and start showing your best football. Um, but if he's uh, if he's fit, 
know, this is a good game. Uh, you know, it, these narratives can kind of play out quite well when you come up against like old old teams and stuff. So, you know, maybe from a Liverpool perspective, he could be quite important. I think he's the typical midfielder as well, who's a, who's a very much a product of the the modern pressing game in terms of the way he evades pressure and his dribbling ability and stuff like that. He's he's very much a product of a of getting pressed year after year after year um, in the Leipzig academies and stuff like that. Obviously over in Salzburg and things. Um, so in in this type of game, he probably feels very at home. Whether he will start or not remains to be seen, but. Um, in terms of that one then, Dave. <laughs> uh, <laughs> here we go. The dreaded moment. Um, preview. I'm, I'm just, I'm just getting wrong all the time now. Uh, and I'm aware we've got another one coming up, although we might have to bomb through that one. Uh, uh, I'm going to go for 2-1 Leipzig, which obviously means the pool still progress. I think I'm going to stick with my original prediction from the first leg as well. You said 2-1 on the first leg, didn't you? Did I, yeah. Not very original. <laughs> I think so. Well, I'm, I'm going to say the same again. I'm going to say one all. I said one all at the time. Obviously, Liverpool ended up winning 2-0, but I think 1-1, um, which would be more than enough to get Liverpool through. Obviously, Leipzig would need four in that case. Mm. And then a couple of days later, we have Wolves, Dave, who, funnily mm. enough, have had a very similar season to Liverpool. Yeah, really... Uh... Really not good for them, as it's been, you know, key players haven't really been performing. Uh, you know, goalkeepers underperformed a bit. Players like Traore, he was getting talked of like 100 million transfer in the summer. Hasn't delivered a goal or assist. Uh, yeah, they, they've just had a, a pretty poor campaign on the whole. And uh, I've just had a look at the recent form, see if it's improved slightly. And no, not really. I, I watched them in that Villa game and they showed part, but nothing special. Uh, don't you think it is though Josh they're tactically a bit of a nightmare for this current Liverpool team aren't they that's a good shout actually yeah I hadn't actually thought about that um, in terms of the pace that they've got they've, they've certainly got that um, yeah. you know Pedro Neto was a, is a lot faster than I originally realised when he first came to this country gradually mm. I realised just how quick he is and obviously Adama Traore although he's not I don't think Adama Traore is quick to the extent that he's a threat and behind though is he he's more of a carrier I think Neto's yeah. going to be the threat and behind yeah I think what Traore does really well is he's, he's he's really quick over short spaces so he's good at like standing a defender up isn't he and then kind of hitting top acceleration over 5 or 10 yards and uh, being really strong and put those two together it's really hard to dislodge him off the ball but yeah Neto Neto is, a, is definitely a problem Um as is trying to create chances against Wolves, because although they haven't been near anywhere near what they what they were last season, you know, the R team who sit in aren't they? Um and kind of often fall into like a back five thing, and these are all problems Liverpool have, have had, you know, against these teams in terms of create, creating clear cut chances. Yeah. I mean when I say that they've had a similar season to Liverpool, I think specifically the injuries to key players, I think the way Van Dijk is very much a lot of Liverpool's defence Raul Jimenez is certainly a lot of Wolves' attack alongside that um, he's had to integrate new players and you know while also obviously losing Jimenez to injury he sold Jota and sold Matt Doherty who was quite a 
quite entitled to the way they score goals too. So it's been a little bit of a transition year for Wolves. And alongside that, again, similar to Liverpool, they've underperformed in the finishing department. Um, underperformed so far by 4.1 goals, which is worse, which is, well, I was going to say bettered, but I suppose worsened by five other teams. One of those is Liverpool. Uh, obviously, Brighton at the opposite end of the scale. Brighton have underperformed by 11.6 goals. Yeah, unbelievable. yeah, Brighton are crazy. Uh, yeah, even I was just doing a goalkeeper piece <laughs> earlier today, and even like I was looking at shots on target, keepers have faced, and you know, obviously Ryan's moved on now, but Sanchez and Ryan, only Mendy and then Edison have faced fewer shots on target this season. Like the, everything about them says they should be like a top six team, and the, but they're not. <laughs> they're fighting to stay in the in the league. It's absolutely mad. It is silly season, uh, isn't it? In in more ways yeah. than one, not just the landfield. Um, yeah. But yeah, and, I mean, we've run over a little bit this week. Obviously, we've stressed a little bit with talking about Gerard and stuff. So, in terms of Wolves, Dave, preview mm. on this one. Sorry, uh, yeah. I don't want people to judge this harshly, but just as, as a favour to all Liverpool fans listening, I'm going to back Wolves to get a result. And that might sound counterintuitive, but the only... Uh, it feels like whatever I back, the opposite happens, and I keep backing Liverpool to win. So I'll go with a. I won't. I won't back them to win, but I'll go with a one-all draw. Um, yeah, I'm going to go one-one just because I think stylistically, uh, Wolves are not really a great team for Liverpool to face at the moment. I think I'm going to say one-one as well. I think both teams just aren't the usual selves. Both teams lacking the usual strength, and um, you know, Wolves are difficult teams to break down. On, on a good day really even though you know I shared last week on Twitter for those who follow me I shared the amount of through balls that teams have conceded this season Liverpool way out in front but I thought it was insistent that second in the table was Wolves for conceding through balls and considering what was that conceding through balls yeah through balls conceded mm. and that's completed as well um, mm. and I thought it was quite interesting considering you know how deep you associate Wolves' defence. Um, mm. So, what you know, why are they conceding three balls quite often? I mean, I know they've moved to a back forward certain times and stuff, so a little bit in and out and things, but I thought that was a weird one. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm surprised at that. I didn't see that. Um, so, it's, it's yeah. in a way, it's, it's the two teams in the league that both concede three balls the most facing off, mm. which should be interesting. Mm. Yeah, but obviously the, 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 the big difference is, like, Liverpool's is kind of, as a consequence of design, whereas Wolves, you'd kind of expect the way they settle for that not to happen that much. So that is interesting. A little bit of a narrative, maybe there. Yeah. Uh, one one for the pair of us then. So thanks for tuning in this week. And Dave, thanks for joining us, mate. Yeah, thanks for battling on, mate. Back to bed, is it? Or <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm actually feeling better on the back of this oh, somehow. Oh good. Maybe uh, maybe it's 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 just it's a bit like a a Liverpool counselling session and you've got all that that heavy weight off you now and you uh, you feel a bit more sprightly. Yeah, it's like that meme, isn't it, where you, you inject Barclays into your arm or something like that. <laughs> a little bit of a Barclays injection giving me a boost. I don't yeah. know why, because Liverpool is all over the place. But anyway, we'll be back next week, as usual, to hopefully talk about wins, because uh, this, is getting, this is getting awkward now. Um, yeah, we'll be back next week. So thanks for tuning in this week, and uh, see you then. 
listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.